Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Morning, everybody. Welcome to Grace Crossing Church and uh, to our 2021 edition of God at the Box Office. How many of you, by show of hands, um, have been a part of this series in the past? Can I see your hands? All right, we have some new people that maybe have not been. We want to welcome all of you here. How many of you are excited about this series, God at the Box Office? We get underway. Before we do get underway and jump into that, let me um, let me just mention something very special that happened this past week uh, by way of um, of Zoom. So each January on the first Monday of January, we dedicate our one prayer to one word, um, and it's a chance for us to open our minds, our hearts, our spirits to what God may want to deposit in us for the coming year. Um, and this has really become one of my very favorite opportunities that we make available here at Grace Crossing Church. So let me just say, if you weren't able to be with us, I want to urge you, it isn't too late. It isn't too late to hear from God. It isn't too late to open your mind to a, a word and your heart to a word that God may want to give you. If you were with us at one prayer and didn't sense a word, don't be discouraged. Sometimes it takes a while of waiting patiently for the Lord to bring it to you and bring it clearly to you. So each year at one prayer, when we go for the one word, I actually go for two words, not one. Um, I typically am coming to the Lord and saying, God, can you give me a word personally for me? And can you also give me a word and a sense of what you want to do corporately at Grace Crossing Church? I came to one prayer with, with both of those ideas and words that I was sensing from the Lord. And I want to share with you the one that I believe was a corporate word that I was kind of sensing from God for Grace Crossing Church for 2021. It came uh, actually early in December uh, during a morning meditation when I was reading and meditating on a passage where Jesus actually is announcing his ministry. And I want to read it to you, Luke chapter 4. Uh, two verses, verses 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And verse 19 is the verse that just jumped into my heart to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now I read and meditated on this passage literally just days before we learned that Kelly's cancer had returned. She was diagnosed with stage four metastatic breast cancer. And that word favor was a word that I began to call into question, quite honestly. Yet I want you to know this morning that I feel deeply convicted that Kelly's diagnosis and the journey that we're going through and what lies ahead for us and what lies ahead for our church does not in any way change what God has for Grace Crossing Church in 2021. I still believe that this is going to be the year of the Lord's favor. That for those of us whose hearts are fully devoted to Christ, for those of us who are fully dependent on God, that we're going to see God's favor come upon our lives and rest upon this church in 2021. Now the essence of Luke chapter 4 is actually captured in a, in a poem that was written by a man by the name of Howard Thurman. What, what Jesus does in Luke 4 is he actually takes what is stated in Isaiah chapter 61 about the Messiah, and he restates it in Luke chapter 4. And, and in this poem, Howard Thurman actually captures, I think, the essence of what the scripture here is saying. And what I also believe is that his poem thrusts us out of Christmas tide and out of a season of Christmas when we long for and we wait for the coming of Christ into living out our faith in the Christ of Christmas. 
That's where we spend the majority of our lives, isn't it? Living out our faith in the Christ of Christmas. And here's what Thurman wrote in his poem. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people. That's the heart that Jesus had when he came. And that's the heart that we have here at Grace Crossing Church. So in this series, out of the box office this year, I've selected movies that are about the mission of Jesus, that are about advancing his mission, that are about helping us to live out our faith in the Christ of Christmas, and most importantly, are about affirming the vision God has given us here at Grace Crossing Church. Micah chapter 6, verse 8, captures the essence of it. He has shown you what is good. He has shown you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Have you ever asked that question? What is it God expects of me? Here it is. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God's vision for your life and God's vision for Grace Crossing Church is really summarized in three imperatives, just six words. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. I want you to say that with me here this morning, those that are in person, for those that are joining us by way of a broadcast, I want you to say it with me as well. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say those three imperatives and I'd like you to repeat them after me, are you ready? Act justly. Act justly. Love mercy. Love mercy. Walk, humbly. Walk humbly. Now let's say it with a little more conviction. Are you ready? <laughs> Act justly. Act justly. Love mercy. Love mercy. Walk, humbly. Walk humbly. I used to scratch my head early when I under, began to understand and was trying to wrap my heart and mind around what God was saying to us in this vision. And I, and I often wondered, how is it possible to act justly and love mercy simultaneously? Because in reality, those two imperatives almost seem like polar opposites in some way, don't they? And I think the secret is found in the third imperative. The only way that we can act justly and love mercy simultaneously is to walk humbly. Jesus beautifully models this in all of his life. Because what Jesus does, because he walks humbly, Jesus is able to advocate for justice and advocate for mercy simultaneously. It's as though Jesus had a rhythm to the way that he walked. When Jesus stepped on this foot, he was acting justly. And when Jesus stepped on this foot, he was loving mercy. And he was doing it and living it out of a deep, contemplative relationship with his Father that allowed him to understand and live out humility. In fact, Jesus reframes Micah 6.8 in his very first recorded message that we have in the Gospels. Known as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus opens it with what are called Beatitudes. These are attributes. These are ways of posturing ourselves before God that gives us access to the kingdom of God, to the life of God, the life the way God intended it. And tucked right in the middle of those Beatitudes, Jesus reframes Micah 6.8. Matthew chapter 5, let's read what it says, verses 5 through 7. 
God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Another word is meek. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Many of us have learned that hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you look at the original language, the word there is justice. And justice and righteousness work hand in hand. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to take that imperative from Micah 6.8 that is recaptured and restated by Jesus to act justly or to long for justice. And we're going to talk about that this morning. When you hear that word justice, what is it that comes to your mind? Or perhaps let me ask it another way. When you hear the word injustice, what is it that comes to your mind? For many years, I believed that justice was righting a wrong. I actually no longer believe that to be the case. As I've grown in my understanding of justice, and as I've spent more time with those who have suffered because of injustice, I have learned that justice is really not righting a wrong. I want you to think about it. When a wrong is done, there is no one doing it. In other words, when there is something that is done that is wrong, you simply cannot change the fact that it happened. And so justice isn't about righting a wrong. It's understanding that there is something that has occurred. You can't undo it, but you can acknowledge it. You can't undo it, but you can forgive it. You can't undo it, but you can make restitution for it. Amends can be made for it. Here's the reality. When Jesus gave his life for us on the cross, he didn't undo sin. If Jesus had simply undone sin, we would not be suffering today. There would not be pain in our world. There would not be hardship any longer. People would not be lonely. We would not be in the midst of a pandemic. Death would not occur. Sin was not undone at Calvary, but sin was amended for through the blood of Jesus. He paid the ultimate price for it in his own body. But here's the reality. Justice isn't righting a wrong. Justice is acknowledging a wrong. And then, as much as it depends on us, making amends when it's appropriate. Now, back several years ago, um, we were working with a Christian publishing agency to have one of Kelly's children's books that she wrote published. We had spent uh, well over a year working toward getting this. We found an artist who actually was rendering pictures and images. We had a draft that we were working on with the publisher, and we were probably 90% there uh, of having her first children's book published. And then, during the holidays that particular year, right after Thanksgiving, I noticed my emails were not being returned by this Christian publishing company. And so I decided to reach out by phone and call them, and I left several messages, and they went completely dark on us. No returned emails, no returned phone calls, I, I had no way of finding out what was going on until I saw it in the news that this Christian publishing agency had filed for bankruptcy, but actually was being investigated by the Attorney General's Office of Oklahoma and the people who were in charge and responsible and managing and owning that company were arrested. 
for actually bilking hundreds and hundreds of aspiring publishers and uh, you know authors out of their out of their book, and we were one of them. I didn't think there was a whole lot we could do, but I finally decided to reach out to the Oklahoma Attorney General's office to just file a complaint and let them know what had happened to us. And I got a, a very kind letter back within a matter of several months saying they were acknowledging what had happened, that the case was going on, and that they would get back in touch with us in the future if there was any restitution. Well, we heard nothing for a couple of years. Then about a year ago at the holidays, I got a letter from the Attorney General's Office of Oklahoma saying that the case had been settled and as part of the settlement, we were going to receive some sort of restitution for what had happened. And so I got a check in the mail. In fact, they told me that this check would come annually for 20 years. 20 years. So I finally got my second check in the mail recently for $54.34 over 20 years. No amount of money in the world can undo the wrong. When somebody is brutally murdered, no amount of money in the world can undo what is wrong. Justice is not about righting wrongs. It is about acknowledging a wrong has been done and then doing everything we can to make amends as much as it depends on us. Well, the first movie that I've selected for our series, Got at the Box Office, is all about justice. Dark Waters is actually a movie that is inspired by a true story. I'm, I'm wondering how many of you here have, have seen Dark Waters? Can I see your hands? Okay, just a few of us have. So for those who haven't, let me just give you uh, just a snapshot of the storyline. Mm. There was a Cincinnati, and the story is based on a Cincinnati-based uh, corporate defense attorney by the name of Robert Billet. Robert Billet is, is, is contacted uh, by a farmer in West Virginia by the name of Wilbur Tenner, who actually had complained for years about his cows being infected by chemicals from a large plant nearby his farm called the DuPont Corporation. In the, in the 1980s, his brother, Wilbur Tennant's brother, sold a part of their property to the DuPont Corporation. He actually worked for DuPont and became sick while he worked there and eventually died. Wilbur Tennant was reaching out to say, I've lost nearly 200 of my cows that have been infected by waste that has been put in the land and in the earth right next to my farm. And what Billet discovered was that this was a decades-long conspiracy by the DuPont Corporation of actually burying waste that they knew was toxic. That waste spilled into a creek that ran through the farm that the cows drank out of, that his family actually was subjected to, and into the Ohio River that actually affected the residents in that particular town. Now before we watch this first clip, two disclaimers. I saw this movie in early 2020, before the pandemic, and long before Kelly's diagnosis with metastatic cancer. It was a difficult movie to watch again and prepare for, because you can't talk about this movie, and you can't talk about and watch scenes from this without using the C word, cancer. And I know we're not alone. There's others who may find it hard to watch or to hear certain things that you will hear because of your own situation, your own battle, your own struggle. 
Here's a second disclaimer. If you love and you still use your tef Teflon-coated pots and pans that came before government regulations required that certain chemicals no longer be used in them, you may find this particularly unsettling. Let's take a look at the first. There is a man-made chemical that was invented during the Manhattan Project. It repelled elements, especially water, so they used it to make the first ever waterproof coating for tanks. It was indestructible. Then some companies thought, hey, why just a battlefield? Why not bring this chemical into American homes? What's here? Let's see now. DuPont was one of those companies. So they took this chemical, PFOA, they renamed it CA, and they made their own impenetrable coating, but not for tanks, for pans. They called it Teflon, a shining symbol of American ingenuity made right here in the USA in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Right from the start, something wasn't right. The men and workers who made Teflon were coming down with nausea, fevers. DuPont wanted to know why. So they laced cigarettes with Teflon. They told a group of the workers, hey, smoke these. DuPont did as they were told. Almost all those men were hospitalized. That's 1962. One year after Teflon launched, and already DuPont knew. The dust, they just sent right up smokestacks, released into the air. The sludge, tossed into the Ohio, or uh, packed in the drums and, and, and chucked it into the Chesapeake. But then the drums started washing up. So DuPont starts digging ditches on the grounds of the Washington Works plant, and in those pits, they dumped thousands of tons of toxic C8 sludge and dust. One of the men that they hired to dig those ditches was Wilbur Tennant's brother, Jim. But they weren't the only ones covering their tracks. 3M, who, who pioneered these chemicals for Scotchgard, they were testing them on monkeys. Most of the monkeys died. It wasn't like DuPont didn't know that because they were doing their own tests on rats. Watch the organs balloon. Now the rats are getting cancers. Testing them on pregnant rats and watch them give birth to pups with deformed eyes. So they yanked all the young women off the Teflon line, never told them why. Sue Bailey's job was scrubbing these huge steel vats where they held liquid C8. She was pregnant. I love you. Just stop. She gave birth to a baby with one nostril and a deformed eye. Remember how DuPont had seen those deformities in her rats? What about his eyes? Blue. Just like all of them. the normal lids that the pupils? Mr. Villard, relax. He's perfect. So Sue goes to DuPont. She says, why did you pull him out the Teflon line? Did C8 make my baby this way? No, they tell her. Then all of her records from her time at Teflon disappear. One year later, they put all of the women back on Teflon and never say a thing. Justice isn't simply about feeling bad for a situation or someone else's plight. Justice requires that we say something, that we, we do something. But often, it, words alone are inadequate to actually 
bring about justice. Justice often demands that we, that we act, that we do something about it. So in the 1960s, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was moved to action for justice because of racial inequity and inequality. In many of his speeches, in many of his writings, Dr. King actually talks about the issue of justice. It was what moved him, it was what compelled him to actually put his own life on the line almost daily because he recognized that something wasn't right in his gut. And he, and he said something, but he said, I've got to do more than even that. So just a sampling of some of his writings and speeches give us a sense of how deeply Dr. King was moved by this topic, this issue of justice. Here are just a few of his quotes. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Justice too long delayed is justice denied. An unjust law is no law at all. A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. There are some instances when a law is just on its face, but unjust in its application. The time is always ripe to do what is right. And finally, he said, right defeated is stronger than evil triumphant. Friends, here's the big idea for today's talk. Justice is disadvantaging ourselves for the advantage of another. Justice is disadvantaging ourselves for the advantage of another. Often people who are less fortunate, often those who are disadvantaged. Robert Billet knew he had to do something. He knew that it was a little outside of his normal purview as a corporate defense attorney, but he decided one day that he had to go visit Mr. Tennant to see for himself what was happening on the farm. Now this seems a little hard to watch because it's hard to hear some of the farmer's words as he expresses them. But I want you to try to listen as closely as you can. As Mr. Villa is learning, I've got to act, I've got to do something. Take a look at this. The state and the area I call in Martinsburg, they will not return my phone call. Like, I'd like to hand that to you. Sorry, I've already. It's his and all. Look at the size of it. I ain't never seen no doll that big, bigger in the heart. That's your cows. Look at that tape. Black is not. There. Oh, all turned in on itself. Half my calves, more hooks like that. Tumor, I done cut off the back of heifer. How'd you like that on your tape? What am I looking for? You blind boy. Stones as white as the hairs on my head. Bleeds, that's chemicals, I'm telling you. My animals drink this water, cool off in her. Get them bloody wells, dead eyes, charge at me, crazy like. Animals used to eat out of my own hand. Where are the rest of them? Fire. 
did you lose? Hunter. Ninety. A hundred and ninety cows. You tell me nothing's wrong here. And this landfill wasn't always here? No. The brother Jim used to dig ditches over to Pump Land. Got sick. Couldn't do it no more. One day they come to him, offered to buy his land right up that altar. They promised no chemicals. And I assume you reached out to DuPont? DuPont, the state, the feds, called everybody there is dozens of times. EPA finally comes out here. Well, they did. Uh, offer some report. What did it say? You think they're gonna show me? that it was powerful and very well-paid corporate attorneys that had defended DuPont and their behavior, reckless behavior, for years. And as a result, Mr. Tennant is paying a dear price, not just with his cattle, but his own family is starting to suffer the ill effects of those chemicals. Now, when I read the scripture, here's what I understand about Jesus. I see in the scripture that Jesus continually disadvantaged himself for the advantage of others. Look at what Philippians chapter 2 says. It really captures the essence of this, of our big idea today. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, as I read the Gospels, Nowhere do I ever see Jesus denying his power or his privilege. Nowhere. Instead, what Jesus does is Jesus uses his power, his privilege, and his influence for the advantage of others. What Jesus does is he actually disadvantages himself gives up his rightful exercise of his privileges so that others who are less fortunate and disadvantaged can have an advocate. Jesus never denies who he was. He never denies what he could do. He never denied his power and his privilege. The radical call of Jesus to us is that we do the same. In other words, the radical call of Jesus is not that we deny that we have power and privilege, not that we are ashamed that we have power and privilege. The radical call of Jesus is to do what he did, is to acknowledge it and then to leverage it for the advantage of others for those who are less fortunate, for those who are disadvantaged. And that's radical. Jesus calls us to join him in the radical mission of laying down our rights, our influences, our privileges, our power, and saying we're going to disadvantage ourselves for the advantage of those who are disadvantaged. That, friends, is justice work. That's the calling of justice. That's the essence of what justice does. Mr. Villa pays a dear price for disadvantaging himself, as many people do. Jesus paid the price of his life. Mr. Villa paid the price of his health. He put everything on the line. He puts his career on the line. He, he puts his reputation on the line. He actually puts his very health on the line, and in this scene, 
the physical toll this is taking on him is beginning to catch up. It's one of my favorite scenes because the managing partner at the law firm comes to the hospital to visit Mr. Billets. His wife is there. And they have a conversation. She finally says some things to him that I'm sure for years she's been wanting to say, but has been holding in as a modest wife. And yet she says some powerful things. Take a look at this.
What are you willing to risk for those who are disadvantaged? What is it you're willing to give up, to lay down for a stranger? For someone, like Mr. Billet did, for someone in need, for the little guy who had nobody else defending him and nobody else listening to him, who was demonized, marginalized by DuPont and government agencies, who was actually made to be the bad guy. But Mr. Billet knew different. What is it you're willing to risk for someone in need? Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25. Verses 35 through 36. I was hungry. I was hungry. And you gave me food. I was thirsty. And you gave me drink. I was a stranger. And you welcomed me. I was naked. And you clothed me. I was sick. And you visited me. I was in prison. And you came to me. Jesus here is actually telling people about what the day is going to be like when we stand before God, and God really says, why should I let you into my kingdom? And Jesus is going to say to certain people, you can come in because I was hungry and you fed me, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. But to others, he's going to say, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me drink. I was a stranger, you never welcomed me. I was sick, you didn't visit me. I was in prison, you forgot about me. The reality is this, friends. Every time we do something for those who are disadvantaged, we should see it as we're doing it for God. We're doing it for Jesus. In fact, that's who it is. We should see in their eyes. We should see in their desperation. We should see in their sadness. Jesus himself. And we are always called to serve the disadvantaged because he came and became one of them for us. What are you willing to risk? This is what I believe. I believe justice that acts for the advantage of others is never a failure in God's eyes. Justice that acts for the advantage of others is never seen as failure in God's eyes. In fact, I think what we hear from God is we hear those words, well done. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Culmination of the movie, Mr. Billets had lost a lot. He'd given up a lot. Like us with the Attorney General in Oklahoma wondering if we would ever hear anything, and whether there would ever be any sort of restitution made, Mr. Billets, after seven long years of waiting for a scientific panel to return information on a collection of specimens that he put together, the largest epi epidemiological uh, study that had ever been done in the history of America. He does it. He coordinates it. And at the end, he finally gets the call that he had been longing for and waiting for. I, I love the words on the other end of the line at the end of the phone call. Take a look. Who is this? Oh, yes, of course. It's Dr. 
Sorry.
this over the holidays, and I myself was meditating on it, I re realized that Kelly came out of one prayer with not one word, but two words for her. Strength and peace. I don't know where you find yourself today, but here's what I do know and I can assure you of. God sits as king over the floods in our lives. He sits enthroned over the waters. No matter how dark they may be, God is still there. God is still present. God is still going to showcase his power. He's still going to speak to us, even in the midst of our darkness. This morning, I would ask you to reflect on this question. Where, where do you need God's voice for you right now in your life to speak? Where do you need God's voice in your life to speak? And here's the second question. Can I trust that God is still king over the flood and the dark waters in my life? Can I still trust, will I still trust, that God reigns supreme and sovereign even over the dark waters that I face in my own life? Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.